श्री सिद्धाजी गोपाल की जाए गोरी वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जाए गोर भक्त बृंद की जाए गौर प्रेमानंदे question tonight <coughs> sí Guru Maharaj eh, hace unos días estaba meditando en los Diksha Mantras y bueno por un lado a través de la explicación de Sila Sila Maharaj nosotros comprendemos al Brahma Gayatri como que representa a Radha Dasyan en un aspecto general ya So he's asking a question regarding Diksha Mantras, and he said that regarding to Brahma Gayatri, we feel that Sridhar Maharaj, we have a, a wide idea of Radha Dasyam inside that mantra. Y por otro lado, el Kama Gayatri representa Radha Dasyam in an aspecto más específico. And on the other side, Kama Gayatri represents Radha Dasyam in a much more specific sense. Entonces, mi pregunta es, eh, ¿cómo alguien que aspira a Priyanar Masaka Debe meditar en el Kama Gayatri. So my question is how someone who is aspiring for Priyanarma Sakya should meditate on, on Kama Gayatri. Mm-hmm. There is some scope for Priyanarma Sakya and the meaning of Kama Gayatri. Mm-hmm. Gopakumar, who is the protagonist of Brihad Bhagavatamrita, was um, <coughs> given as uh, uh, his Diksha Mantra, the ten-syllable Gopal Mantra. <clears throat> so the eighteen-syllable Gopal Mantra that is found in Gopal Tapa Upanishad is like the mother of all uh, Krishna Mantras. <clears throat> And all other Krishna Mantras are derived from that. So, um, for example, in that mantra there are three names of Krishna. Krishna, Govinda, Gopijanabalaba. Hmm? In the ten-syllable mantra, which Chaitanya Mahaprabhu also received from Ishwar Puri, um, then only the name Gopi Janabalaba is there. Hmm? Swaha, hmm? and so forth. So the same question could be asked. How could... A Priyanarmasaka like Gopakumar hmm, attain that status with a with a, uh, a a mantra focused on Krishna as the uh, uh, lover of the gopis, which is not the the preoccupation of the cowherds per se. Hmm? But he but he did. He did attain that. Right? So, so, of course, then, uh, the Narmasaka has a Madhurya aspect, that kind of, that kind of coward, as you know, has that, has that influence in his uh, Sakirasa. Rupa Goswami has compared it to yogurt, that Sakirasa, mixed with the Madhurya of sugar, 
which makes it sweeter. So I think that um, in a similar way, we, we have received in our Diksha line the 18-syllable Gopal Mantra. This is our Krishna Mantra. And then we have the corresponding Gayatri. Hmm? So if you think of the Kam Gayatri in terms of being focused on Madhurya Rasa, then you can think of it in relation to the Krishna Mantra, to culture that sweet influence, add that, so to speak, to embellish your, your Sakya sentiments. But I don't think that you can say that the Kama Gayatri is just exclusively about uh, Radha Dasyam. Hmm? There is, of course, the, and I have said what, what you have said, but to repeat it and to give the Puranic kind of story to it, um, the uh, I believe the Padma Purana explains that one day Brahma was performing a sacrifice and in the context of the sacrifice there was a a function that was to be performed by his wife. His wife is Saraswati. But for some reason she was not available. So he was in need of a wife. So he, he sent some of his assistants out to, f- to, f- to find him a wife <laughs> quickly. And um, they, they kidnapped a girl from a cowherd girl from the Brudge region. Hmm? And it was a, what do we call a Gandharva marriage? One sided. <laughs> Gandharva marriage is typically mutual consent alone, and that is what the bond is based on. It's said to be the only viable marriage for Kali Yuga. Um, but Gayatri was, or or the gop, Gopi was, a, the consent was not mutual, or the mutual attraction was not was not mutual. Here's a, here's a Gopa, Gopa girl from a Gopa village. She's got to go live in Brahmaloka, you know, with, with a four-headed fellow. It's a little, uh, it was a little awkward for her. But not so. Anyway, um, she was kidnapped. She was married, and she became Gayatri. Mm-hmm. Right. So she's the personification of the Gayatri mantra. But then. The, the Gopa people, they complained that you've taken, you know, one of our people here. They went, wanted some retribution. And so Vishnu intervened 
And he says, no, it's all right, but uh, I will make up for it in the future by taking birth in your community. So they were satisfied. And so Krishna took birth in the, in the cowherd community, and he's considered an abhira. An abhira is, is like a cowherd, but they have some mixture of, of uh, the Brahman caste, slightly, slight, slight mixture, type of gopa. So, all well and good, but when Krishna appeared in the cowherd community and performed, Vishnu did, but, 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 but as Krishna, of course, then he performed such wonderful leelas. And the height of those leelas was, was reached in connection with the, with the cowherd girls. And so this Gayatri missed out and felt um, cheated. And so somehow she was able to manifest uh, as, as, a, as a gopa in the personified form of the calm Gayatri. Mm-hmm. So, therefore, we can say the best or the highest ideal that we can get from the Brahma Gayatri is the calm Gayatri. Mm-hmm. Brahma Gayatri means different things to different persons. It's, it's a very abstract uh, formula of sacred words, and there's a lot of different sects who uh, derive different meanings from it. Hmm? Jiva Goswami, of course, uh, made an effort in his Tattva Sandarbha and then again in the Paramatma Sandarbha to make clear that the Gayatri Mantra is really only a mantra for the worship of... uh, of of the Godhead, not of Indra or Brahma or Shiva or so on and so forth. And, of course, furthermore, he raises the point from, stated in the Gurda Purana, Gayatri Basiruposo, that the Bhagavatam itself is a commentary on the Brahma Gayatri. So, what is the Bhagavatam ultimately about? Well, we have to turn to the Godias for that because no one looks at it more closely than the Godias. No one holds it to their heart like, like Chaitanya Mahaprabhu did. And, uh, uh, and, and no one explains it in as, as such a charming way as, as, as they do. We do, the Godias. And, of course, they see the Bhagavatam ultimately coming to this position of we can say, um, Radha Dasya more Krishna's subordination even to to Radha. Krishna's the supreme God. That's the and that's that that's one point you have to draw from it and point out that it's making this point and then another level as well that he's subordinate to the love of, of the gopis and his devotees and, and ultimately the best of all devotees, or the fullest expression of devotion, is, 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 is uh, Srimati Radharani. So, so we can make a case that the Brahma Gayatri, as Pujapada emerges, takes us to the service of Radha. Hmm? Now, there's different types of service to Radha also. So, uh, 
um, the um, Subal, for example, Madhu Mangal, another example, Subal in particular, is described by Rupa Goswami as being a um, a, um, a king god, a servant of Radharani. Radharani's maidservants are also her servants. They serve her in a different way. They serve her by dressing her, bathing her, and attending to her personal uh, necessities, and so on and so forth. And in her hours of great necessity, Subal can be, and such Narmasakas can also render service in a different way, but, but helping to revive her, to pacify her, so that she can meet with Krishna, to make arrangements for her to meet with Krishna and so forth, to pass messages to her uh, and, and so on, and, back and, and take messages. So in that capacity, Narmasakas are also involved in a form of Radhadasyam, so the different forms of Radhadasyam. The extreme, even within Madhuri Rasa, Radharani has for certain friends. She has friends like Lalita Vishaka, they have assistants, they're called Priyasakis. Hmm? And then there are the Manjaris, two types of Manjaris. Hmm? And all of these, the, the um, what are they? Paramapreshta Sakis, Lalita Vishaka, the Priyasakis, who are their attendants, hmm? and the Manjaris, both, both types, they are all. Um, Experiencing what we call tadbhav, hmm? rather than sambhog, their 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 bhava is to be attached to the bhava of Radha, hmm? rather than their primary preoccupation being a group leader who has her own friends and is preoccupied with having a romantic union with Krishna. Lalita, Vishaka, their Priyasakis, their assistants, they may also have a union with Krishna sometimes, but it's not their preoccupation. So they're in a form of, we call it, Tadbhav rather than Sambhog, two types of Madhurya Rasa. But there are different types of that Tadbhav. So the extreme form of that, we find in the Manjaris, who would never entertain the idea of having direct uh, romantic union with Krishna, hmm? because they, they're they so dedicated to uh, bringing about Radha's union, and they get more out of that, hmm? because no one can get closer to Krishna than Radha, and by being so attached to her, they come closer to the experience that she has than if they were a group leader and had direct union with Krishna themselves. That's the math of it, so to speak. So the math, of course, is the best way to please Krishna. But as a bhav, on the surface, it appears sometimes as if they don't even like Krishna. They only like Krishna because Radha likes Krishna. So that's very extreme. So the different forms of Radha Dasim. And the the the, the uh, Narmasakas also like Subal. That's uh, that. There's a, that side. There's a side of that to their Sakibhav. Hmm? 
So, um, that said, the calm Gayatri will give you what you want. Whatever you want. So you fix your ideal, you chant the Kam Gayatri. I mean, speaking within the opportunities that are available in our Sampradaya. So, if we take Kama in one sense, then it refers to Kamanuga, Kamarupa. That type of rag bhakti of the gopis, rather than sambandhanuga or sambandarupa, hmm. Vasalya, sakya, dasya for Krishna. Hmm. That's one way to look at calm, the calm bij. Hmm. But the word kama means desire, in a broader sense. Because the romantic desire is the most consuming, it's often used to refer to that. But in the broader sense, it, 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 it's the desire, the lust, if you will, for anything. You can lust for for food, like Madhu Mangal does, right? Doesn't have to necessarily be romantic. So. In Kam Gayatri, then we offer ourselves to Krishna, who is who is Madan Mohan, who is Govinda Dev, who is um, Gopi Janabalava. Hmm? All those things, right? So you have the same na- names in one sense as you have in the Krishna mantra, eighteen syllable Krishna mantra, Krishnaya Govindaya. So it doesn't have to be, it's not that I want Sakya Baba, if I chant this it'll be a problem, I'll go to, I'll turn into a gopi, something like that. No, you'll get your desire. And if you look at it from the Madhurya aspect, just like also, but, but the, the sannyas mantra or the vaish mantra the, the, for, the, for the renunciates in Gaudiya Vaishnavism is a Gopi Bhav mantra, basically. But that's, again, in, in some places, the Narmasakas are called, their Bhav is described as Saki Bhav. Right? So, no problem. We think of it in, the, in, in light of that, hmm? an aspect of our of the, of the Narmasakas Bhava. Does that help? <coughs> An esoteric question, but good. What else? Those sakas 
they like what the, what Narmasakas the they like the romanticism of Radha and Krishna. They don't want to have a romantic relationship with Krishna or Radha, but they like that that they have that relationship. Hmm? So they're there's different ways in which someone with a particular stayibhav can um, embrace a compatible stayibhav, either a stayibhav of a, of a dominant uh, primary rasa or, or of a secondary rasa. Hmm? There's several different ways, but... One to be personal, personally desirous of it, or desirous of it as it appears within Krishna. Hmm? Like it, sympathetic for it, liking it, seeing what it does to Krishna. Hmm? Though they see what it does to Krishna, they like that, hmm? and they, they they know it, it. They understand how something how it makes him. Feel and so they want to participate it, participate in that way. That's that's the idea. What else? Break down, but I, I did not follow your analogy earlier today about the rivers going into the ocean because because that analogy is also used to say, for example, like even though the rivers go into the ocean, the ocean remains steady, and that's like the analogy for for a saint, like even the desires enter in, they don't. It's a different analogy. <laughs> it appears that the ocean doesn't rise, but it does. <laughs> if you pour. Water into a. This is another example. You have the pitcher, and you pour a glass into it. Then the pitcher increases, right? So, if it was the same in, erratically in all senses, one, then it wouldn't grow. It wouldn't rise. the mantras from an unqualified person and, and that became apparent in time they might want to hear it from a qualified person. I would. Uh, I think we should perhaps like give the background information. It was a uh, talk given by Nishinga Maharaj where he said that the student if the student does not uh, chant the Gayatri mantras for a certain period of time then they have to be renewed. That was his opinion. So it wasn't like a question of an unqualified guru, in this case, but of an unqualified disciple. 
You know, I don't think there's... I, I, I know his point on that, and I think he's picking up on something that occurred um, in Chaitanya Saraswat Math when uh, persons were coming to Sridhar Maharaj through canvassing of devotees like ourselves, myself, Mishnah Maharaj, and others, and some of them have been initiated by by Prabhupada, and maybe they had not, they had become disenchanted or distracted for a long time, and maybe even forgot the mantra, some of them, or hadn't been chanting. And so, um, sometimes Pujapatrita Maharaj, out of his infinite uh, wisdom as to how to um, collect their faith and refocus them, would speak the mantra to them again. So, I don't think there's a there's a, not a rule for, rule for this, but in a in a dynamic a kind of a preaching situation, guru may make that kind of determination, or the disciple, for different reasons, may want to. I mean, typically, you hear the mantra, you know. Um, that's why we say there's one diksha of mantra because the mantra that's giving it is a singular affair, whereas the siksha can come and come some, from so many different angles and. Uh, and so forth. Um, so I, I kind of looked at it like that, not, not not as a rule or a certain number of days or a certain thing happened or, or something something like that. Um, but I, I remember that a little bit that that kind of thinking was going on, but I never heard it directly from Rashida Marjan. It's not in the Sandarbas or anywhere anywhere written like that. Um, more it's written the opposite, you know, the one diction, one diction guru. But, you know, these kind of rules, they don't go into every situation, all circumstances. Um, it's just like moral, the moral rules. So you have basic, you don't have, what you have is basically moral principles from which you derive moral rules in different circumstances with the help of scripture and reasoning. Hmm? given the circumstances, to determine what's the right, morally, ethically speaking, thing to do in this situation. It's just like law is made up as it goes along, hmm, with reference to previous precedents in the law, what took place then, how the law was decided at this time. Now we have a circumstance that's similar to that, okay, but at the same time it's, it's different. There are different new factors. And so we have to use our reasoning it's not all laid out in the scripture. These are the moral laws for all circumstances. Hmm? No. And Krishna says that himself in Mahabharata. Hmm? What I'm saying. So, similarly, with regard to, well, of course, details of our tradition, how to practice and so forth, then there's room for adjustment and, and, and whatnot. And the whole idea is to deliver the principle. So a wise person, in the capacity of a teacher and guru, may make a determination. This may be the best thing here, and and it, with a, with a view to secure that devotee's faith and encourage them. That's what it's all about, right? So you can't say, "Well, I, sorry, I, I can't do that because the law says this," and uh, and uh, but I forgot the much. Well, that's too bad. <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> it's not like that. 
So this, he has the dynamism and the, he understands the principle and what's involved, and so makes uh, makes exceptions or um, so forth. So so so, so uh, Sridhar Marsh was 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 doing that, and, and he told me personally. He said, uh, I consider this a titular adjustment, a technical thing, only, to hmm? assist Swami Marsh, Prabhupada and his disciples. He, and some of the devotees thought, oh, this is the real thing now. And he was thinking, just a small role. I can assist in some small way. I'm happy to have that opportunity to help and serve. Prabhupada used to give the sannyas mantra in a, in a, in a, on a, written on a piece of paper rather than in the ear, saying it. And the reason for that being that that's how he received it from Keshav Maharaj. I don't know why Keshav Maharaj did that. But Sridhar Maharaj would, of course, give it out and speak it. But he didn't give sannyas very widely. I mean, at the point when we met him, he had only given sannyas to Govindu Maharaj and maybe maybe one other person who wasn't his disciple. He was a disciple of a god brother and later took sannyas from him. I forget his name, but he would come every year and pay respects to Shiddha Maharaj and so forth. Um, so uh, when uh, some young men, god brothers of mine, were taking sannyas from Shiddha Maharaj, and they were hearing the mantra from him, and getting the sannyas name in the way that Bhakti Siddhanta Sarsati Thakur gave it, which is uh, what would you call it? Kind of, wow. Yeah, that's cool. Something like that here, thank you. Bhakti so-and-so such-and-such Maharaj, you know. Whoa. Um, and um, I kind of had a a wrapper around it, you know, a ribbon around it. Like, wow. So, um, the uh, men who were taking sannyas were getting those names, and then some other devotees. There was only a few of us. Um, it was myself. There was uh, Koyananda Maharaj. Then later I brought Narasimha Maharaj and, and Vishnu Maharaj. Was like the transcendental sidekick of Narasimha Maharaj, and had taken sannyas from Narasimha Maharaj. So, um, Akainanda Maharaj had taken sannyas from Prabhupada. I took sannyas from Prabhupada. Narasimha Maharaj took sannyas from Prabhupada. But when Prabhupada would give sannyas, he would just add Swami or Goswami, which are two of the sannyas names in the list of 108 sannyas names that Bhakti Saraswati Thakur used to draw from. His system was to initiate his disciple at sannyas and give them the name bhakti and then a two or three syllable name like Vedanta, Sarup, um, Pramod, uh, Vishramba, hmm, which differentiated them from one Puri Maharaj or another Puri Maharaj, for example. Puri, Aranya, Giri, Padmanabha, these are all some of the 108 sannyas names. Sridhar, hmm? Swami, Goswami, hmm? Tridandi, hmm? and so forth. 
So they would get Bhakti, let's say Vedanta, Swami Maharaj. That was Prabhupada's sannyas name. So, so, so some of these young men were getting these names from Sridhar Maharaj and then Akoyananda Maharaj, he wanted to get a name like that. He was Akoyananda Swami. So, and he, and it was basically, um, what he told you to march is that I am preaching and you have some new disciples that, that, that I'm bringing and others are bringing and so forth. And so, in order for them to feel that I have a very strong connection with you, it might be good if you were to, to like, and then he paused and Sridhar Maharaj chuckled and said, give you a name. <laughs> he said, yeah, something like that. So, uh, so now you can say, he changed his name. Prabhupada gave him the name Akoyananda. Sridhar Maharaj changed his name. Just see, what an offense. Hmm? Overstepping Prabhupada, dismissing him, means he didn't think that Prabhupada was valid. And there's nothing that you know even remotely resembles anything of the sort, as I'm explaining the context and so forth. So Sridhar says, well, you know, he think about it, and then he came up with the name Bhakti Ananda Sagar Maharaj, and then he explained how it meant the same thing as Akoyananda. Hmm? Gave him the name. So most of the uh, the, 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 the men who were taking sannyas from Sridhar Maharaj had, had not taken sannyas, or maybe they took sannyas from some Iskand guru who was offensive to Sridhar Maharaj now, or had fallen away, and so they, then they took sannyas from Sridhar Maharaj. Hmm? Um, but um, amongst the disciples of Prabhupada who had actually taken sannyas from Prabhupada, there was only Sagar Maharaj, and then came me. Hmm? So, uh, Sagar Maharaj, he said, oh, you've got to hear the, the, the mantra from, from, from Guru Maharaj. He said, they probably gave it to you on a paper, right? I said, yeah, he said, well, you should hear it. From so I had no objection to hearing it, but I, I personally, I wasn't like thinking it was a necessity. I liked the idea. But the way it was presented to me was almost like, if you don't do, you know, there's a problem. And there was a little bit of that kind of group think that I didn't identify with. I didn't come to Sridhar Marsh for that. And I think he appreciated that also in me. But at any rate, um, I said, yeah, sure, I'd like to hear the mantra. So, so Sridhar Marsh said, okay, I knew he would, he, would, he would say the mantra. And that's when he told me, this is a, I consider like this, this is a titular adjustment and so forth. And he, he spoke the sannyas mantra, but he spoke it a little bit differently. Hmm. That's another thing. And then, um, and then he said, and, and, and name? And I said, no, no. He said, okay. So Triparari is not one of the sannyas names, one of the 108. Hmm. But, you know, I quite, was quite famous or well-known, let's say, infamous. <laughs> well-known. And... Um, and, and I like the fact that Prabhupada had given me a name. And um, and so that was that. And uh, he, he recited some other mantras to me and so forth. Then, then uh, I think it was the next day, we went down to Partikram, right? Um, this was around Gaur Purnim, so you would go out and 
would be a whole group from the Mott and go to different places to stop and Kirtan and uh, discuss the leelas of that place and so forth. So we were in one place, and Harichandan was a brahmachari in the Mott, an older devotee. Um, he said something in Bengali, and then he said, uh, so one of the sannyasis, you know, should say something here, and he said, and and some of them pointed to me, and so he said, so, and now we'll hear from, and then he didn't know what my name, he knew my name was, was Tripurari, but he didn't know, he didn't know that Tripurari was not one of the 108 names, and he didn't know that I didn't have a bhakti so-and-so. Hmm? So he, he, he was ask, kind of asking, oops, you know, it's bhakti, and then Narasimhamaraj, who by this time I had um, had an influence over and brought him to the Mott hmm? and to the Lotus Feet of Pujapatridharmaraj. Now his name was Jagat Guru Swami. He was Jagat Guru Das. That was the name that Prabhupada gave him. So he had an excuse to have his name changed. His excuse was Jagat Guru Swami sounds like a big Mayavadi name. I'm no longer in a big group of ISKCON. I'm out in the world starting my own thing, and here I am, Jagat Guru Swami. Because all the Mayavadis, they're called Jagat Gurus. You know, they, 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 it's typical that they, even though they don't go all over the world. So that was his excuse to have his to get a special name. So Guru Maharaj gave him the name Bhakti Gaurava Narasimha Maharaj. And then, Mishnu Maharaj, who, as I said, was the, has always been the transcendental kind of sidekick of, of, of Sridhar Maharaj, or Narasimha Maharaj, he had taken sannyas from Narasimha Maharaj, and his, his um, initiated name from Prabhupada was Bhavananda Roy Das. Bhavananda Roy. Bhavananda Roy was the father of Ramananda Roy. Hmm? He had five sons who were compared to the Pandavas, and he himself was compared to the Maharaj Pandu. So Bhavananda Roy Das, Prabhupada had given him that name. So the Shringa Maharaj, when he had given him sannyas, gave him the name Bhavananda Roy Swami. Okay, so so when he met Sridhar Maharaj and he said his name was Bhavananda Roy Swami, everybody kind of chuckled <laughs> because Bhavananda Roy was a householder, you know, in the Leela. And... Uh, and, and, and you know, Pujapachinamarsh's mission was smaller, so little details would show up a little bit more than they would in the big institution like ISKCON and so forth and, 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 and so on. So uh, he had an excuse to have his name changed, and of course Nishingamarsh had his name changed, so, so then he became Bhakti Bhavan of Vishnu Maharaj. Mm-hmm. So anyway, we're out on the parikram, and, and Hari Charan says, Bhakti... And <coughs> Shingamar says, Bhakti Vidanta Triparati Maharaj. So everyone goes, Oh yeah, so very good. So, so that has a that's how I got that name. And it was approved in Sindhasur Sangha of, uh, of devotees. Then hmm? I say they gave a little speech there and so forth. So um, so then there there were there were some disciples of Prabhupada who came to Guru Maharaj, um Pujapatrida Maharaj and came under his, his guidance and so forth. And when he said their names, they said their name, my name is so-and-so, he would say, what? 
and it wouldn't make any sense, the name. So they had heard it wrong, always kept it like that. Hmm? You have to understand that when Prabhupada gave initiations, sometimes there were mass initiations. And so he would ask different sannyasis or, yeah, to, to pick out names from the Bhagavatam. Hmm? He didn't sit and think of all these names, so he'd go to the Bhagavatam, pick out names. This name, this name, this name. He, he sometimes gave me beads to chant on, you know, chant on these ten beads. And, and so we would chant, give him the beads, and he would give them, to the, and give them the name. He would approve the name, but there was room for a mispronunciation or a mishearing of it or, or something like that. And so sometimes they would say, my name is so-and-so, and he'd go, well, sure, maybe it's like, you know, it might have been like this. And... and and they were so inspired by Sri Maharaj, and they were finding their faith again or having it um, um, in, infused with his kindness, his affection, his insight, and, and so on and so forth, that, that, that whatever he had said or did was, was um, fine uh, and more you know, w- with them and so forth. So he might change the name. Tirtha Prad. Maybe it's Tirtha Pod. Hmm? Tirtha Pod. Not Tirtha Prad. What do you think? So, I remember that one. I think so. Um, that kind of thing. So this is, uh, these, this is similar to, you know, related to the, to, the, to the question. Sometimes he would recite the mantra and it, 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 was, it was a dynamic kind of a flowing situation, affection, and, and he was uh, doing, as he asked me to do, relief work, hmm? helping devotees who had been abused some, in some cases and, and uh, disenfranchised from the mission that they had given their lives to and so forth, and, and, uh, and, and, and that, uh, they had, that Prabhupada had been misrepresented by authorities and so on so they were um, he was helping them using again his infinite wisdom and, and it worked so that's all that matters right you gotta judge by the, by the results what else Like you have two names, Govinda Madhava. Govinda Madhava is not a name for Krishna. Govinda is a name for Krishna, and Madhava is a name for Krishna. <laughs> Something to think about. <laughs> What's the time? Anything else? Yes. Comrade, thank you for coming back to this uh, story I heard you mention in uh, one of your lectures about uh, Ramana sends his son in the school to study Bhagavatam. Mm-hmm. The son comes back once and he says, and father asks him if he has learned the Bhagavatam and he says, yes. And then yeah. he gets sent back again to study. And this happens, I believe, three times and then the third time. He answers, 
No, I, I cannot figure the Bhagavatam out. I haven't learned it. And uh, uh, I'm wondering what is the virtue of, of saying that? Well, the story is, uh, again, that uh, the father sends his son to Bernares to get an education, and his son comes back, and the father says, what books did you study? He said, this and this and this one. He said, did you study the Bhagavatam? He says, no, 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 that was not on our curriculum. He says, well, then you didn't get an education, so you have to go back, right? So he goes back, and he studies the Bhagavatam, and he comes back, and father says, so did you study the Bhagavatam? He says, yes, and I understand why he sent me that. That's, wow, that's... Very important book. He said, So you understood the Bhagavatam? He said, Yes. He said, Well, then you would go back and study it again. So he confused, but anyway, following his order, father, his father, order, his fa- order of his father, he went back and he studied the Bhagavatam a second time. Then he returned, and father said, Did you study a second time? And he said, Yes. And now I understand why you sent me, because I, the second time I realized I didn't understand it the first time. There's so much there. So father said, So you understand the Bhagavatam? He said, Yes. He said, Then you better go back again, study again. So then he went and studied the Bhagavatam the third time, and he came back. And Father said, did you understand the Bhagavatam? He said, I can't understand the Srimad Bhagavatam. And then Father said, now you've understood Srimad Bhagavatam. So you're asking, what does that mean? What's the implication there? Right? The, uh, the implication is that, um, that the, um, the, the uh, Bhagavatam presents the zenith of transcendent <coughs> possibilities. And it is something that cannot be grasped by the intellect. You may take certain types of knowledge and collect it and put it in your pocket and have it to use when you want. But the Bhagavatam is such that rather than being on your agenda, it puts you on its agenda. Hmm? And it takes you beyond thought, beyond language. Who can say they understand Krishna? Krishna is trying to understand himself. That's Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm? The subject is is ever expanding and Shruti Bir Mimrigyam as Uddhava said, I can't understand the Braj. It's off the map of the Shruti. Therefore, Bhagavatam says about itself, Shruti Sara may come. It's the cream of the milk of the of the Upanishads. Hmm? And uh, it's hard to digest a liter of cream. <laughs> but it's hard to stop drinking it, too. So... It's uh, it's uh, the idea that it's not something that you can control, but that you should come under the control of, under the influence of, and it will be good for you. So a master of the Bhagavatam knows that there's always something to learn from the Bhagavatam. So if you said, oh, I already read the Bhagavatam, well, then read it again. Because mm-hmm. there was a, Bhakti Balabhatirtha Marsh used to say, those who say that I've already read the Prahlad Leela haven't read the Prahlad Leela. Mm-hmm. They, they think they've already understood that. 
really understanding that means you have to become like Prahlad. Right? Just like in the first chapter of the Gita. In the first chapter of the Gita, it tells you what it takes to understand the book. Because Arjuna's the student. And the context is that there's a battle. And so Arjuna says, well, let's see what I have to contend with. He tells Krishna, so bring the chariot up and let me see the armies that are assembled here. And then Krishna parks him right in front of his biggest attachments, Drona and Bhishma, his guru in the martial arts, and his grand, grand, grandfather who, who raised him. And Arjuna realizes this is, a, this is an ego battle and attachments that I have to give up and he, and he drops his bow he thinks and this is the biggest chatri there is this war is this battle is like as another taken to another another level but that's what's at hand that's what you have to do to understand the book it's right there in the first chapter but you read it and say well that's neat you know and then you go on and think you've understood the Bhagavad Gita but unless you do what you, you embrace the task at hand there slay the ego how we, and until you do how can you say you understood the Bhagavad Gita so therefore the understanding is involves transcending reason the limits of reason altogether when we come to the Bhagavatam it's just taking it to another level altogether because Bhagavad Gita is, is, is basically spiritual directives for the intelligence, and Bhagavatam is like the the um, the um, emotional possibilities of the of the soul itself, influenced by bhakti. Mm-hmm. So that's what it means. Do you understand? Mm-hmm. Sounds almost like we should first learn the Gita fully before we even get to Bhagavatam. <laughs> well, not necessarily. Hmm. Bhagavatam will attract you to Krishna, then you pay attention to his instructions in the Gita. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, the Gita is a more preliminary book, and the Bhagavatam is a more advanced book, that's for sure. Theologically, it's the, the, the seeds are there in the Gita that are that are that are flowering and bearing fruit in the Bhagavatam. So to think that I've captured this spiritual truth. With my intelligence, as Pujapachitamra should say, and if I've got it in the fist of my intellect, is to not have it at all, because the intellect is not a vehicle for going there. If you try to go there with the intellect, you'll be rejected. You have to use your intellect to go there, but that means to use your intellect to grow your faith, which is the vehicle. If you try to go with your intellect, then you only, and you don't, and you become a a servant of your intellect, a slave of your intellect, rather than rising above the intellect by, as I say, using your head to soften your heart 
which means applying yourself in transrational practices, hearing, chanting, and so forth. Without doing that, just trying to go with the intellect alone, then you won't, you won't be successful. You'll start to find problems because it won't answer to the intellect. Well, they said this, it says this here, it says that. So how can there be, how could Nanda Maharshi have 900,000 cows if Vrindavan is only this big? That's impossible. One of Prabhupada's disciples said that to him, and Prabhupada said, You read too much. <laughs> so, that's another way of understanding the, the point. Hmm? And that's not easy, because we, we're used to knowing by our intellect. Hmm? We have to learn that that by our intellect we can't know in a comprehensive way, in a way that will will satisfy us, will, we, we, that we'll feel nothing remains to be known. You will not arrive at that sense, nothing remains to be known, just by intellectual exercise. No one has ever done it <laughs> in the history of humankind, just by a rational exercise. But we do have examples of people who have pursued or engaged themselves in what we call transrational practices. That means they're not irrational, hmm? but they pick up where reason leaves off. And they, they conclude, they're based on a conclusion that reason has its limitations. Hmm? We don't put reason on the altar, we put Krishna on the altar. That's reasonable. Hmm? And then they reason how to serve him in any given circumstance. Not whether he exists or not, but how to serve him in any... That's first, but then it, as the intellect becomes, as the self comes out a little bit, then, then you start to reason how to serve him best in any circumstance. And reason has its place subordinate now to the soul. But humankind has been trying to ration their way out of the anxiety of material existence. No one has been successful. But there are people, mystics, who have given up that approach and taken a transrational approach. And we can, we can look at them and say, here's a testament. This person is happy. Without need, has no need for anything. Hmm? She has no need. As a Buddha, had no desire. Suffering is based on desire. Attachment, as the Gita said. Now you can know that, but then you have to know. You have to, that means okay, I understood that point. It's a pretty basic point. It's just, and it's also hard to refute. Try it. Whenever you want something, you know, there's going to be some trouble. You have to, you have to get busy to, to accomplish it, and so forth. Can't sit peacefully. But then to put that into practice, that means to use your intelligence to soften your heart. You understand? That's not we're dumb, chanting people. They're just dumb people. Don't know any better. Probably just to say, you think we're just worshipping a stone after reading 60 volumes of books? Just worshipping a stone. 
No, we're worshiping God. All right, we stop there. Shri Siraji Gopal ke jai. Puri Vaishnav Guru Parampara ke jai. Gaur Bhakti Vrinda ke jai. Kovit Premanandi. Shri Lakuna Maharaj.